Hello, and welcome to the Evolve and Elevate podcast. I am Jacob Fry, your show host and humble servant. I have an unwavering belief that no matter where you are, who you are, what you have, or what the story of your past may hold, you have the ability and inner strength to design and realize your best self tomorrow, if only you will put in the effort today. Thanks for fighting and listening to episode three of Navigating Silver Linings. We are going to start right where we left off. Don't stay up so late. We had recently relocated against our will due to an eviction, and I was attending my third elementary school in the city. A few weeks in, I was required to sit with the school counselor due to a tardy problem. I was getting to school late despite living near a bus pickup area. The counselor probed my life, asking about home, asking about mom, dad, and more. At the time, I was very well skilled in deflection. I made up stories and flew under the radar. I explained that I had not heard my alarm on the days late and that mom didn't hear hers either. The counselor advised me to get eight hours of sleep and sent me back to class. The truth? I rode the city bus to school when I missed a school bus. Mom didn't have a car and we lived a significant distance from the school. I missed the bus because I had found myself oversleeping. I overslept because mom played music all night and continued on late night benders with friends. One day after my discussion with the counselor, I was significantly late to school. I had fallen asleep on the city bus, riding it around town three times before waking up and finally getting into school at lunchtime. I spoke with the counselor and again and explained that it was my fault. I had fallen asleep on the city bus after missing the school bus. I returned home after school to the Spanish Inquisition for mom. Why did she get a phone call that I was late for school? Why did I miss the bus? It does show up at the same time every day, after all. I didn't hold back and shared with her why I missed the bus. I couldn't sleep due to the late night music and drinking, and I was informed that her time was not an excuse for me to stay up late, that I could not miss school or be late, and that that was very important. If I didn't and continued to be late, someone might come and take my brother and I away. The music did get quieter, and I did whatever was necessary to make school on time, not wanting to let mom down. Silver linings from the chapter. Sleep is critical to performance. We need to be well-rested to maintain effort and focus throughout the day. If you miss sleep, you miss buses. You don't miss buses. Make the alarm louder and move it closer to your eardrums to ensure you wake up. Don't allow external distractions to impact your personal performance. If you must navigate loud noises in the night, sleep with earplugs, but don't blame the noise if you have options around it. Dark Nights About a year later, I was 10 years old and mom was experiencing serious drug abuse problems again. They had always been bad, but they were now controlling her entire existence. The abuse rose to a new level. She was abusing crack, meth, and drinking. More or less anything she could get her hands on. Mom's days were a blur of drug and alcohol-induced nothingness. She had not been in a steady relationship since V2 left her for a different woman to take advantage of mom's words, not mine. When V2 had left, her capacity and ability to source drugs diminished significantly. I recall witnessing numerous bouts of withdrawal, the results often terrifying. Sweating, pain, grinding teeth, crying, puking. It was a horrific state. Mood swings were a norm for us. When mom found her fix, she relaxed, escaping from her self-created hell for a handful of hours. These times brought my brother and I some solace. One evening, we went over to one of mom's friends so she could visit. The true goal was to visit the drug dealer she knew that was most likely to give her something for nothing. Almost nothing. We traveled to a neighborhood worse than ours. Difficult to pull off when you live in a city-subsidized housing projects. 
Walking into a house, there was an open hallway with stairs leading to one apartment with another on the main floor. We traversed up the stairs, stepping over empty cigarette cartons, empty beer bottles, and what looked a lot like used toilet paper. Knocking on the door, a guy came, opened it, and grumbled something. I believe the grumble was to acknowledge that one of his regular fiends, as he called Mom, had arrived. For the next half hour, Mom tried to convince him to give her what I would call crack on credit. At the time, I did not completely understand the dynamics of the discussion, but ultimately he gave her the drug she wanted and mentioned he would be over later for payment. As my brother and I drifted to sleep, someone knocked at the door. In a one-bedroom apartment, you hear everything. We peeked out the bedroom door to see that the man we had visited earlier that day had visited us. He started talking, and Mom started sobbing. He told her to shut up and reminded her that this was what she wanted. A moment later, he had ripped off her shirt and pushed her onto the couch. I opened the door and began to call out. The guy stopped, standing still as if he didn't know what to do. Mom screeched at me, telling me to close the door and go to bed, not to come out until it was morning. I laid in the darkness, able to hear everything through the paper-thin walls of our apartment, and as she cried, I cried. Silver Linings Do not ever expect to get something for nothing. Darker Days I could tell Mom didn't want that to happen. I could tell that it broke something in her, something she really would never find again. The next day, Mom was quiet. She didn't get out of bed much. She had bruises on her arm. Her eyes were swollen and red. I'd never seen Mom so distant, so quiet. I wanted to fix it, but I didn't know what to do. I shared a CD with her I had gotten for my last birthday. On it was my favorite song at the time, I'm Blue by Eiffel 65. It seemed to cheer her up some, but it didn't change her state. The day after, an event occurred that would ever taint that song for me. I came in from playing with the neighbor's child. I was hungry, but nothing was readily available, so I scooped up a mouthful of peanut butter and chugged some milk. I heard my song coming from the bathroom. I'm blue, dabba-dee, dabba-die, kept playing over and over again. I loved the way the vocals sounded. I knocked on the door. Nothing. I knocked again and shouted through the door. I knew it was Mom because she had my favorite CD last. After a fruitless effort, I started getting anxious. I heard a knock on the front door. It was one of Mom's friends, a girl she had known since her teenage years. She looked frightened, asking where Mom was. I told her she was in the bathroom and that I couldn't get in. She ran, pounding on the door, trying to get into the bathroom. She yelled at me to get help, so I ran upstairs to get the neighbor. He came down to see what was going on, confused as to why a child was dragging him down into his neighbor's apartment. Mom's friend told the man that it was an emergency and that she needed to get into the bathroom to save Mom. She told us that she had gotten a call from her and that she sounded suicidal. The man kicked the door in and gasped. He ran over to the phone and dialed 911 as Mom's friend went to the bathroom. She began crying as she processed the scene, the neighbor giving information to the 911 operator. Mom's friend sobbing, I began to walk towards the bathroom. Mom's friend had cut the music and saw me approaching. She yelled for me to go outside and not to look, but it was my mom, and I was worried, and it was too late. I looked into the bathroom, and the floor was covered with pills and blood all over. Mom was in the tub, incoherent, and she couldn't keep her head up. She was bleeding from both of her wrists. I started crying uncontrollably as the neighbor grabbed me and took me outside. I didn't understand this experience any more than I understood others. I broke down, sobbing for my mom. Why would she hurt herself? What did my brother or I do to make her do this? Police and paramedics came flying around the corner. Lights and sirens accompanied them all the way to the doorstep. 
Two paramedics rushed into the apartment with a police officer and another stayed outside to question the neighbor and I. My brother was with our grandpa at the time, and I am grateful he didn't have to see this. Not too much later, the paramedics were carrying mom to the ambulance. Her wrists were wrapped in gauze, and her body was wrapped in a medical blanket. The wrist wraps were soaked in a crimson color. She was unconscious as she disappeared into the back of the ambulance. I thought I was going to lose my mom forever at the time. After the police wrapped up their questions, I was taken by an officer to my grandpa's. My brother and I didn't know how to handle this. We were children, and we continued to have what little stability we felt we had stolen from us. The phone rang, and Grandpa spoke to an employee at the hospital. Mom was going to be okay and would survive. However, she was being committed to the eighth floor, which served as a psych ward for the city. My brother and I would get abnormally acclimated to this floor, as Mom would end up there many more times over the years. Silver Linings It is true that we don't often realize what we have until it's gone or at least that we believe it's gone. It's a game-changer when we begin to cherish who and what we have in the present moment, rather than reminisce their memory. The Eighth Floor Stepping off the elevator, we were greeted by a large metal door with a call box below a camera. Grandma pushed the button. Grandpa never visited Mom on the Eighth Floor, as he was usually the one working to get her committed there, and stated that we were there to visit Mom. A buzzer sounded and the door opened for us. We found ourselves between two large metal doors. After the one behind us had securely latched, another buzzer sounded and the door next unlatched for our entry. A nurse greeted us and took us to a sign in at the nurse's station. Passing several patients in bedrooms who had their door open, one yelled to us that the CIA was watching him because the CIA had bugged his popcorn and were listening to his thoughts. In another, an elderly man stood naked in the corner of his room, staring at the wall. After signing in, the nurse escorted us to the visitation room. Walking in, there were a handful of circular tables with chairs, a couple of jigsaw puzzles in the corner of the room. The nurse went to find Mom. She entered, her wrist still wrapped from the self-inflicted injury. She looked like a zombie. I recognized the look. It was the same look she had when she was suffering withdrawal. I knew she would be suffering by herself in the hospital without anyone or anything to help her through it and my heart bled for my mom. We played Uno for a little while, mom constantly apologizing for everything. She made the same promise she always had made when she was in a bad situation, that she would never do drugs again, that she would take care of us and put us first if God gave her one more chance. And while I desperately wanted to believe it, I had begun to harden against the empty promises. As we were leaving, she began to cry at the table, her wrists wrapped, her body drained, it all consumed me with pain. The heartache followed me where I went. While staying with Grandpa, our supervision was not any more vigilant than it was with Mom. Getting to school on time and being home for bed was more or less the only requirements. I began failing in school. I even skipped a couple days and ran around town. I had stopped caring, and I hardened myself against life so that nothing could hurt me the way that this did. I was spiraling out of control. I found out Mom was transferred to a state psych ward several hours away. She had been diagnosed with bipolar and schizophrenia disorder. This diagnosis later helped me better understand many of the experiences my brother and I witnessed in our childhood. At the time, it only made me think that I might be crazy. I had googled the diseases and read an article that heredity may play a role in the disorders. I was failing school and thinking I may end up on the 8th floor if I had similar disorders. Then Dad called. Silver Linings Sometimes we must accept the fact that others in our lives simply will not change. We must accept them for who they are, love them, but do not continue to put our emotions on the line in expectation of change. Intervention 
Dad called to check in on me. He had heard about what was going on with Mom. He knew I was failing in school and skipping classes. He knew that if I continued this way, I would adopt it as a way of life. Not hesitating, he made the executive decision to have me move in with him. I had always respected and looked up to my father. I always knew I needed to get away from Quincy. My brother was doing well, and he adored his life with Grandpa, ultimately choosing to stay in Quincy. It was a brisk Saturday morning when Dad pulled into the Section 8 apartment complex. My bags were packed, with what little I had at the time. All of it stuffed into a retro suitcase Grandpa had lent me. It was a rather unnoteworthy event. Dad pulled in, sat with us for a few moments, and we were putting the suitcase in the car within minutes. Said goodbye to my brother, and I hopped into the car. Dad asked if I needed or wanted to say goodbye to anyone else. I didn't have anyone other than those I had already said goodbye to. I mentally said goodbye to Mom, the kids I knew, the drunks, the drug addicts, the bullies, but little did I know, I was simply trading one version of dysfunction for another. After a few hours of driving, we finally pulled onto Memory Lane. That's really the street name. In passing a couple of trailers, we arrived at Dad's cabin. Dad lived with his wife and her two children from a previous marriage. They inhabited a cabin in the woods, only 75 feet from the Sangamon River near Decatur, Illinois. Dad was very much at home in the woods and on the river. A survivalist at heart, he would chop wood for winter, heating the house with an old-fashioned wood stove. He hunted for meat every year and always filled any hunting tags he had available. When he had time, he taught me numerous outdoor lessons, how to hunt, how to fish, how to shoot a bow, how to shoot a gun. He showed me several things from skinning a deer to filleting a fish, all things I had never experienced. Unfortunately, he was never able to shake the alcoholism. During almost all my memories with Dad, he was touting a natural light beer can in his hand. While he did drink each night, it wasn't the same as Mom's drinking. There were no parties, no late nights. He did not get violent, but rather seemed more at peace when he drank. He never got loud, never got abusive physically or nor mentally. He preferred grilling for his family over drinking with a stranger. He preferred a campfire and being alone to flashing lights and loud music. Dad didn't force anything. He wasn't religious, but felt content with what he had in life. He never complained and always worked with what he had available, and always worked for what he owned. Silver Linings As children, we often only ever know what our parents permit us to experience. As an 11-year-old child, my world was held entirely within the city limits of Quincy, Illinois. I was limited to the trials of my mother and the day-to-day struggle. Moving to a rural area, learning more about the outdoors, and experiencing new experiences opened my world significantly. A new home. Soon after getting settled, I was introduced to my step-siblings. S1 and S2 were good kids, and I sincerely believe in a different environment. We would have become a close family. Unfortunately, I came from a broken home with an infamous nut for a mom and was overall no good. Or at least that was the general sentiment of my new stepmother. S.M. was not fond of the idea of raising a child that was not her own, and shared that feeling often. The first week, this dynamic revealed itself in our interactions. Talks were littered with, your dad, and your son, and my children, all phrases that divided us from the starting line. Another layer upon this was finances. Dad didn't make a fortune and was raising a family of five on less than $25,000 a year. The step-siblings had a father that made a high-level income and would buy them toys and clothes. The division began with the sentiment of SM and was enhanced with the division of material. Boarding the bus, it would look like we came from a different family on the lane. My Walmart shoes next to their brand name outfits. But in all reality, we were kids. And had we just been allowed to be kids, everything would have been much better than it was. Because of the dynamic in which SM would put S1 and S2 on a pedestal, I was always envious. 
I was envious because my mom never protected me that way, and I was jealous because I seemed to have what I could not. They had nice new sneakers for the school year. They had the coolest backpack and other material items I wasn't given, and this became the new normal. Dad was absent when I would get up for school. He would be sleeping before starting a second shift job. He would leave around the time we were heading home from school and not return until almost midnight. Many nights I would fight to stay up in bed, waiting for his headlights to appear in the driveway just so I could have ten seconds with him as I ran out of the bedroom to get a hug and ran back to bed. It was something I looked forward to each day, because during the day, it was her house, her rules, her kids. Silver Linings It is critical to push for inclusion and balance within the world, and especially within a household. By experiencing the rift that was created by words and intention, it is much easier to recognize and understand this dynamic with others. Always push for inclusion in all situations. When you compare your world to another's, you will find something to be envious of somewhere. It wasn't until much later in life that I learned to stop comparing who I was in that moment to who someone else was or what else someone had. The Spatula SM was an extremely authoritative homemaker. It was very much her way or the highway. I quickly caught on to this the first time I got into an argument with my step-siblings while SM was in earshot. In absolutely no way, shape, or form would this unwanted child harass her self-perceived, all-good, all-pure children. I had screamed at my older stepbrother, arguing about some cartoon on the television. In doing so, I felt a searing pain as SM gripped me by the ear and pulled me into the kitchen. She tossed me to the ground with relative ease. This isn't difficult for someone four times your size to do. Scolding me, she brandished what had become the bane of my existence for some time. A large metal spoon. The kind of spoon you use to stir a pot of chili that feeds 20 people. She told me that any time I did wrong, I would get beat, and she meant it. She slapped me on the ass with the spoon until I had welts. I crawled away, crying uncontrollably, not so much because it was extremely painful, because I had never expected it. I was in shock at how quickly it escalated to such a brutal punishment for screaming. It broke me, and I literally cried for my mom. SM reminded me that I was there because she didn't want me, sending me to my room to think about my wrongdoing. I sat alone for the next few hours while my new family watched TV in the other room. I had never felt so alone in my life. At least I used to have my brother. As time passed, I wised up to the fact that she ruled the roost. I did everything in my power to avoid conflict, at least in the early years. During this time, I had always dreamt of escaping, of getting away. And while it would never happen, it was always a nice dream. Silver Linings I learned conflict resolution skills early in my childhood. When you know severe consequences await, it becomes fairly easy to actively avoid conflict. Reunited A year or so later, my brother came to join us and moved into Dad's as well. I missed the crud out of him and was beyond happy to see him. In the same moment, I realized that as happy as I was to be reunited with my brother, SM was equally disgusted with the idea of feeding for and caring for another child. My brother had packed on some serious weight. He had gained about 75 pounds since I last saw him. He seemed less energetic than what I remembered, as if life had also knocked him down a couple of levels. Grandpa could not continue watching him and decided it was best for him to move in with us. Honestly, I believe it boiled down to money. Everything always seemed to boil down to money. Dad couldn't raise a house on 25 k a year and still be able to send support for brother. It just wasn't sustainable. Grandpa drove up to drop him off and visited for a little while. He cracked a joke about his weight, saying he was eating him out of house and home. I didn't care what the reason was. I was just happy to be with my brother again. But as with most things in life, things changed. Our relationship was never really the same again after the time we apart. 
I had changed, he had changed, and we were both stuck in a whirling cyclone of dysfunction, just trying to get through it. Silver Linings Change is an unrelenting fact of life. Among many others, our bodies change, our minds change, and our environment changes. We must learn to be agile and to adapt rather than resist. Busted I was sent to counseling with a middle school counselor due to falling behind in some classes. During our discussion, the inevitable inquiry into home life came up. The counselor asked about my relationship with my stepfamily. I had been through enough similar interrogations that I knew to walk on eggshells. Despite this, during the course of our conversation, I mentioned a spatula on the beatings. The counselor launched an entire investigation into our home and questioned all the children. He brought in my stepmother and spoke with her about what I had mentioned. That night I was given a come-to speech regarding how hellish my life could really be if I continued to speak with the counselor about so-called abuse. While nothing came of it, SM was frightened enough by the investigation that we never saw that metal spoon again. The punishment of choice became more psychological than physical. Silver Linings Don't hesitate to stand up for yourself. There are others out there that are fighting for good every day. Find them and reach out for help. A couple follow-ups from the passage. I always try to get a full night's sleep. My personal routine stops the day at 9.30 p.m. and starts the day at 4.30 a.m. I have found that few good things happen between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m., so it's a good fit to be sleeping in my world. My personal routine currently includes white noise and an alarm. White noise is a huge part of my sleeping experience. With outlet timers, you can find these for about $20 on Amazon. I'm able to have the fan turn on and the light turn off at 9.30, prompting sleep, and vice versa at 4.30 to wake me up. I also experiment with a sonic boom alarm on the other side of the room to force me out of bed. Life is so much easier. Life seems to be infinitely easier to succeed within when there are fail-safes. Speaking on inclusion, it's difficult to understand the impact on individuals being left out. That impact is exacerbated if the exclusion is intentional and known to be intentional. You can literally change someone's life by including them when possible. Speaking on envy, growing up with little, being envious of others was a common theme. Always wanting to have what someone else had while overlooking what good I already owned. A full stomach, warm bed, all within the borders of the land of opportunity, is in reality a pretty big gift. To help with envy, seek gratitude, and aim to work on the self. By improving ourselves, the abundance we see with others will inevitably find its way to us. As always, thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great week. This is Jake, signing off. And remember, when things are looking down, you always have the choice to stay up.